We're bringing you all you need to succeed in the real estate business. It's Spilling the LT, brought to you by Lawyer's Title, telling you what it's really like to work in real estate. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Tamara Gady. Today, we're going to talk about common issues, lending issues facing buyers today. But first, if you like my content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs. You can reach out to me on any of my social media platforms. Today's guest is Sean Schilmerman. He is the mortgage mogul. And I brought him in today because we've had a lot of conversations, or at least I've seen a lot of stuff on social media about current issues going on with financing, interest rates, anything and all things lending, right? We've had a lot of changes over the last year. And he's someone that I partner with and wanted to make sure that he came in today to discuss some of these ongoing issues for buyers. So thank you, Sean, for coming to join me today on another episode of my podcast. Always welcome here. All right, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I'm one of those that just wants to jump right in. Okay, so let's get started with the biggest elephant in the room. Everybody wants to talk about interest rates. I'm so tired of talking about interest rates. rates. Of course. Um, So everyone, obviously we've seen interest rates go up lately in the last year. It's been a big change for a lot of people. And so we've had a lot of buyers, potential buyers pulling Mm -hmm. out of the market. Plus sellers don't want to sell their house because they're all locked in 2.53% interest rates. So I think the first thing is, is some really good education about interest rates, versus buying power, right? Mm -hmm. The prices of houses. And we've seen some stability in prices of houses. I mean, it's very pocket, right? Like pocket situations. Certain communities maybe have multiple offers, but for the most part, prices have stabilized. They're not Mm -hmm. really going up, in some cases going down. Correct. And so now we've got um, interest rates at the highest that we've seen in a long time, which is still not that terrible. (laughs) So let's talk about Interest rates versus, you know, buying a house now with a higher interest rate versus buying a house tomorrow at maybe a higher price with a lower interest rate. Sure. So, you know, I've, I've been lending for 18 years and rates fluctuate, right? That's, that's, part, of, that's part of the you market. You talked to my dad. He's like, my first house was right. 17%. Right, right. And, and I think a lot of the economy got used to a unrealistic expectation with 2020, 2021 rates where it dropped down to two, 3% interest rates. And that just set a unrealistic expectation for people. For right? sure. Um, but we've had high rates for over about a year you know, or so. So that's definitely being more of a reality check. So people, I think, are coming more terms with what rates are now. Obviously, they're high. It's the highest they've been in, you know, 16 years, roughly. What, what, is, what is, kind of generally speaking, what is it right now? 7.25% is Got your it. conventional okay. national average. Got it. Right now. Um, so, that you know, that's a, a tie. It's gone up 0.75% in the last 30 days, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it just continues to fluctuate. Every morning we still look at the bonds, the mortgage-backed securities, and they're going up and down, up and down, right? Um, so it's constantly changing. So that's, that's one thing. But... With those mortgage rates, yeah, they are higher, but like you said, the home sales market is kind of stabilized, right? Right. Um, so I tell my clients and my agents, I was like, hey, tell, advise them it's a good time to buy. Why? Uh, the homes are not inflated in value like they were 20, 20, 21. You don't have 20, 30 bids per house. You mm-hmm. take, I had clients there at that point were waiting a year bidding home after home trying to get into a house. Oh, yeah. It was terrible. It was they, terrible. They couldn't even get one, yeah. right? hundred uh, over, 100K over ask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was right. So, yeah. Homes are more realistic now. They flattened out, right? They're realistic. They haven't really, I wouldn't even say they depreciated in value. They just kind of halted, 
right? Some of them, they halted it, you know, they dropped down a little bit because they were inflated at the time of the halt. Uh, but I think they've kind of plateaued more and that's just allowing, you know, a, a better bang for your buck when buying a house, right? It's, it's definitely a homestead market for primary residences. It's a tough investor market. Right, because no kidding, because yeah, <laughs> investors, investors that come to me all the time, they, they just can't cash flow on a property, yeah, right. So, no matter if it's a good price, they can't cash flow on that property, right. Um, and you know, with this market, with those rates, I tell people, it's, it, do you want your cake and eat it too? Mm -hmm. They're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you're getting a home at a great price with the easier market to buy in, a lot yep. less competition, that's getting your cake. Right. The rate night may not be ideal, but I mean, let's face it, who keeps a rate more than five to six years on average historically? Anyway, everybody refinances, cash out, buys, sells. So get into it with a payment you can afford with rates today for that house at a great price. And we'll turn around and refinance it when rates do drop within the next two years. We're going to see a drop. Everybody's predicting yeah. that. Fannie, Freddie, HUD, the mortgage-backed securities, everybody's predicting a drop. So then we'll refinance it. So then you get your cake yeah. now. And eventually when you refinance it, you're going you're gonna to eat it too, right? You're going to get the best of both worlds. And you're going to come out ahead in the long run by doing that versus, oh, I want to wait. Common thing is I want to wait till rates drops to buy a house. I'm like, okay, we, well, what happens then? The home prices go through the roof. Yep. There's still low inventory, especially in Dallas. There's still 300,000 people moving to DFW every year. So that's, that's going to be more demand. Uh, and then you're going to end up paying it for an inflated value again and fighting for a home of the permitting. Right. Right. So I was like, find the home you want, make a move on it. You just date the rate. You don't marry it. Right. I know. You're I was gonna, thinking that in my head. That old yeah. school saying. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you're going to get the rate you want when we eventually we'll refinance it for you. We monitor that as a lender, right? When's the ideal per time for them to refinance? I know. I text you all the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say that. So, you know, along with that, there's a lot of tools we'll go into for products, things we can do to help make that more manageable payment. And uh, such a high interest rate hit. But, well, before we kind of dive into yep. different loan programs that are offered right now to get buyers in a home, let's kind of back up a little bit because you that was a lot that you said. There's yep. a little bit to unpack in, in what you said. <laughs> so, and, and you're not wrong. I mean, you and I had this conversation because I called you about my colony ha rental house right. that I'm negative cash flowing on, which you you can't just look at cash flow. And and I know there's a lot of different invest methods of investing mm -hmm. and ways people look at things, right? I, I was always someone who had to cash flow, right? Until I got into the situation, like, well, wait a minute, this is helping with my taxes. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I've seen the, I've seen the other side of it where it isn't always necessarily a bad thing to have some negative cash flow as long as the house is appreciating, right? Right. I have not seen that house when I bought it. Um, after I got done with the reno, it was valued at 350. Mm -hmm. That was last year. December it appraised for three twenty five when we did the cash out refi. Now my realtor is telling me that I can get three hundred for it, but that's not normal. Solana, my neighborhood did the same right. thing. It dropped about fifty seventy five thousand. Okay, but my Raleigh house keeps going up in value, mm -hmm. right? So that's that pocket stuff that we're talking about. But I think what's really important for buyers and realtors that work with buyers to understand is having that education about. Interest rates today versus tomorrow, prices today versus mm -hmm. tomorrow, because you tapped into it. People are moving here all the time. There's a bunch of pinup demand because people aren't wanting to buy right. right now because they're scared of the interest rate. And so next year, if, if it's next year, we don't have a Christmas, everybody's saying next year. Right. But if it is next year, 
that's exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. All these buyers are going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to start bidding on homes. And now we're going to go back up in values. Right. The smarter play is to buy today and refi tomorrow. 100%. Yep, 100%. Because one day, if we do have a rate in those interest rates drop, the market's flooded back with investors. They've been holding and biting. I've been waiting. <laughs> They've been holding their, <laughs> holding their money for a year now, waiting for rates to drop. And so that's going to flood back in the market, all those investors. You have all these home buyers that have been, and ones moving in, they're just waiting. They're all in hiatus and hover mode waiting. So that that inventory of buyers and sellers, there's buyers, but I mean, it would be primary investors is growing. Inventory is not so you think it's tight to buy a house now, wait till the rates do drop and then it's going to just, you're going to have so many people trying to pounce on a house. And that, and for traditional buyers, this is sound advice, right? For investors, you have to look at things a little bit differently mm -hmm. as well because you've got to figure in rent comps on top of that, right? Sure. Yep. Does the property have the ability to increase? Like it's one thing to go into a ne negative cash flow situation temporarily, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't want to be pouring money into a property that isn't ever going to pay off, right? Sure. So housing prices have stabilized. We don't know if that particular area is going to see any kind of appreciation, you know, in the next year or two. Sometimes investors don't hang right. on properties that long. Then you're walking into a situation where it's not cash flowing. And so you've got to look at the rent comps. And that's why a lot of investors have come out is because there's just not enough meat on the mm -hmm. bone, right? I think I, I'm waiting for the, I want the luxury market to come back, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I think those are all savvy investors as well. The right. the higher price point houses, those are more wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have pulled back just because their portfolios, you know, that it's not a good idea to purchase a luxury property right, right now. They're, they're worried about their overall portfolio. So I think the luxury market, when the interest rates drop, we'll start to see that mm -hmm. come back. And then, and also buyers will come out. But for investors, if you can figure out how to take at least a temporary hit, because the prices right. will just keep going up and, and you're not going to be able to bridge that gap between the lack of rent and the, and the price of the house. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, Does exactly. that make sense just now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, some of those properties, they make sense from what you expect to get from appreciation. It may not cash flow immediately. Right. And get yeah. tight. Like I said, when that market changes too, I mean, a lot of the investors are looking at fix and flip too, because if there's so much demand, they can come in and get something, fix it up, price yep. it up, yep. sell, sell it way over market again. So you'll see a lot of those coming too, uh, because they can see a quick turn in that house. I think for investors, the smart play right now is a distressed house because yeah. you can pump a little bit of money in it, you know, and then you can... You bought it under value because right. it's distressed. Right. Off market's a great play. Uh, anyway, we can talk about all of that for, I can talk about that forever. <laughs> Moving on. Um, okay. So let's talk about loan programs. Sure. Okay. Because, because the buying power, you know, buying power for buyers has been shrinking. Right. And so, and anytime the market changes it, you know, loan programs, not, they're not always new. They're, you know, they're brought back. Right. right and, exactly. And so let's talk about some of the loan programs right now that are helping buyers get into homes. So, you know, if, if it's first time home buyers, we have a lot of different programs. We have, um, different bond programs. We have T-Shack in Texas, which is- What's T-Shack? T-Shack is a Texas down payment assistance program. Okay. It's uh, sponsored by the state. And so they'll give you a first-time home buyer anywhere from 3%. And it's, actually, it's not even first-time home buyer. It's just buying your primary home. So it can be anywhere from 3%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% toward down payment assistance. So okay. if you do like an FHA, 3.5% down, 
you do a 5% T-shot concession that's going to cover your down payment, another one and a half toward closing costs, you could potentially come to the table with nothing. That's cool. Right. So that's a great program. There is um, income limits on those because- you know, different by They're not for everybody. They're not for everybody. If some if people you can make money, you pay your own down <laughs> exactly. payment, you don't get assistance. Exactly. So if you make too much money, they figure you have some in the bank. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that's a great program for that. Um, you know, for getting into those, you know, you have, I went to a class on USDA homes the other day okay. uh, with uh, an office just because I think it's a highly underutilized product. Right. So I think that the county limit for Dallas is 380 roughly for a loan amount, but you can, it's not just like rural, like farm country. Like I looked at like Salina and different areas that were not necessarily rural and you could get hundred percent financing for it with no mortgage insurance. Okay. Right. Primary. Yeah. So that's a great tool. And I was telling my realtors, Hey, if, if they're looking to do this type of program, plug the address in he'll tell you if you're eligible, you get the green light, you can do hundred percent financing for it. Oh, cool. Right. So it's a great program. So that's, that's another good one. It's, utilized not enough um you know you have the standard fannie freddie first time home buyers three percent down mm -hmm. versus the you know five and, and to clarify it it's first time to buy a home or you haven't bought one in, in like three, three uh, yeah i believe three years yeah um, okay so you can get take advantage of that less down right um but that's just kind of those are all options pertaining to people kind of that are uh, tighter on down payment their first home different situation like that uh, a lot of clients maybe just don't fit in the standard box of andy freddie fha mm -hmm. and can't get qualified because of maybe income right i have a lot of uh, investors and clients i work with that are self-employed and oh, take, that's always a fun one. You know, they, they, <laughs> the which employee, we like yeah. to take which advantage of. Realtors, you know. <laughs> exactly, 1099. I work actually do financing for a lot of realtors because they want to take advantage of the tax laws and write off what they can. And then sure. that limits what their income is for, say, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, because their bottom line is what you go off of. So I have a lot of different non-conforming products, means they're not Fannie, Freddie, FHA. And you can use bank statements, uh, asset depreciation. Yeah, yeah, the bank statement loan has become yeah. that's a new. Yeah, maybe it's new again. I don't know, but it, that's been a big. It's topic been just reinfused with a lot of looser guidelines. I have some products where you can you can be self employed under two years, and you can do a twelve month, six month, three month bank statement program, things okay. like that. Um, just kind of whatever's going to show the most income that you're looking for. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, this is going to be a hot topic or it already is student loan payments are going to resume. Yes. They took a break because of COVID and then Biden had that student loan forgiveness idea that didn't ever happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that got rejected. Um, okay. So when I think there is it November, October, November, I don't have student loan debt, so I don't know the answer, but I've been kind of watching a little bit. It's later this year yeah, I when they're so. going to take back into effect. So how is that going to affect? Has it, has it, has it been, I mean, because you still had the debt, you just didn't have to make a payment. Right. So does that right. have, I mean, I don't know that it, that would even be a, it's not really something that's been that big of a factor historically that okay. from, from my standpoint of the loans I work with, but yeah, it goes back to the conventional. You count if you don't have a payment yet, then you use 1% of that for your payment amount. And if you're FHA, you use half a percent. So you just plug those into their debt. So that's a debt that's added to your debt is what those estimated payments will be if you're not on a payment plan currently. So that just adds to that, which is not substantial. 
Okay. You know, 1% to half a percent for FHA. That's not a substantial thing that, that swings the needle a whole lot. So okay. it's there, but it, it would only really affect those right on the cusp of the debt to income approval. All right. Well, let's skip over that yep. because um, I wasn't sure if that was really a thing or not. I, I want to back up on loan on loans. Yes. So can I ask you a question? This is for me. Sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> I heard something that said all loans are going to become assumable. Okay, big question. So I get the assumable loan question a lot. I right? bet you do as an investor right. <laughs> working with investors. So, um, you know, assumable loans, you know, Fannie Freddie, or sorry, Fannie, Fannie Freddie, one, if it's if it's non-conforming, they're not doing assumable loans, right? So meaning it's not Fannie Freddie, FHA, or VA. FHA and VA are approving assumable loans, which means the servicer has to, whoever's servicing that loan goes along with it because those are government-backed programs. Right, government securitized by back programs. So if you let's just throw out the scenario. Say you're a seller, you owe three hundred thousand on your house, it's an FHA, and you have a two and a half percent interest rate for you got during the, the COVID period. Right. If I want to buy that home from you, you're selling it now for let's just say four hundred thousand. Okay. And you owe three hundred on it. Let's right. make even numbers here. I'm buying for you. That means I can assume your loan, if you approve it, and I go through the assumable process. So I assume that $300,000 note at, say, 2.5%. The difference, what I bought it for is 100000 That means I have to come up with $100,000. Yeah, to payment, give you. Right. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Down payment? Down payment. Wait, uh, explain. Uh, back up so a second. So I'm buying, I my something. purchase price is four hundred k. Yeah. My loan is only going to be for what's a assumable amount. The balance right. is left, 300000 There's right. a $100,000 gap. That's my down payment. Okay. Because I can, they can't increase assumable loans. They won't increase the balance. They will take the loan as is, assume it to me, but I have to come up with the difference, right? That's where it is a catch because not everybody has that gap for the down payment. Why are you calling it a down payment as opposed to, because it's, it's just the, what you owe the seller because right. the house price is 400000 right? Right. Because I'm doing a purchase price of 400000 100000 I have to put... Bring in cash well, at yeah, closing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether it goes yeah. goes to you, I have to bring a hundred thousand in cash to the closing to cover, yes, the, yes, to cover yes, the difference. Yes. So yeah, it's either ultimately going to you plus closing costs and everything else, right? Okay. But that's how much I have to bring to the table at closing. Yeah, 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 for right? sure. Because so, you got to pay four hundred thousand. Correct. Yeah. So that's that's where I've seen. Um, I've heard a few out there. I always see that hiccup because some people wanting to do that may not have the the money. Um, to put for that difference down. There's another caveat to it. Doing an assumable loan does not take the seller off the hook from that loan. Okay, this is where I was wanting and wondering so that's, about. That's yeah. where if if they are still on the hook in case this loan goes into default or foreclosure, that can you can still be affected as a seller, even though it's assumed, uh, because you, you know that's the way that works. It doesn't totally let you off the hook. But if I'm looking at it too, I mean, so you have some risk there, but then also if I sold the home for you, you go, to, it goes for foreclose on you. I'm not off the hook because I assumed it to you that maybe I could buy it back cheap and resell it and make the profit. Okay. Right? But, but most of the time when sellers are doing things like this is because they need to get out of the house. Correct. Right. So, okay. Let's unpack a little bit here. I would have thought See, okay, in the investor world, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of this creative financing stuff going sure. on right now. And then um, and some of us good and some of us not so good. But the assumable part, there's people doing, they're assuming loans already, just not going through the mortgage company to do it, right? So if they do that, you know, the, of course, the, 
the mortgage company call mm-hmm. the note due if they figure it out. Correct. Right? Correct. So there was other like you know there were big red flags in trying mm-hmm. to get people still doing it, but there's been big red flags to me in that. Now I would have thought that if you had gone through the approval process through the mortgage company, mm-hmm. gotten approved to assume the loan, that somehow that would change this. Um, liability issue for the seller, but you're telling me no. So it does change. Uh, you're changing the note and deed over to the new buyer, right? Right. So if they're in there, but there is some legal back end. I mean, you can look it up and I can do some more information articles on there's some legal back end that you still are not 100% in the clear as the seller. Interesting. Does it carry, does it hit them as debt? No. Okay, no. so there's just some backroom has to do has to do with, has to do with the deed, right? Okay, uh, on the deed, not on the note itself. Got it. Right. Interesting. Um, but so that's some hesitation there. But either way, that's that's a small mute point. But the the what's the hesitation to a lot of people is they don't have the money for the down payment to bring to the table because they're right. in the gap, right? Right. And since those times, the homes had appreciated some, and so a lot of time. Well, I work a lot with wholesale and investors, and right. and they would be able to. Bring the money okay. to the table. Yeah. Sure. It's just, that's interesting that there's still some sort of seller liability. And like I said, that's for like FHA and VA. For yeah. conventional loans, um, they can't mandate it be assumable through Fannie Freddie because those are just, um, they're they're not backed like FHA and VA. They're securitized through government. They're not backed. So the servicer ultimately has the say-so Okay. of you, you assuming that loan. But okay, take it in this point. Me as a servicer, I lent somebody my money for 2.5% interest rate. Why would I want to take that loan well, I, and yeah. give it to somebody else for two and a half percent interest Ideally, rate? you want them to I sell want, it and do a new loan. Hell, it paid off, and I can turn around and take yeah. that same money and lend it for 7%. Uh-huh. Why would I do that, right? The one, there's that loss of revenue I've sure. been losing by doing it. Two, uh, there's inherent risk because- I mean, you got to go through a process. Is the new buyer just as qualified and as low risk as the one that I'm assuming the loan for, right? So I think that goes into how strong for a servicer looking at it, they have to have incentive, one, to lose that loss of revenue, really relending the money. But two, um, you know, if I, if you have been current the entire process, the seller has been current on it, low risk high assets, high FICO, and they're going to sell it to somebody else with not as much reserves, lower FICO, more risk of default. Why would I want to take that loan? Because more uh, servicing money on loans is worth based on how it performs. Okay. So the based on the coupon, yeah. what that loan is worth. So if it gets a late payment or default, that value of that loan drops dramatically. Right. So you want to keep it current. So they look at that risk like, okay, well, is this person as strong as this person? Do I want mm-hmm. to assume it? If it's vice versa, like the seller has been delinquent on and off and it's it's coupons worth a lot less and the new person wants to assume it maybe as a lot more stable. Oh, figure, okay. Yeah. Hey, this is a better buyer because it's going to be on time. It can yeah. make the value of that coupon go up by, by doing that assuming the loan. Okay. That's interesting because I was wondering what the benefit would be to the, why would they approve it? Why would anyone approve, why any mortgage service right. or approve that? Which most of them aren't. Yeah. Right. They just, and they can make up, they just like, we look at these as a case by case basis is how they say, because they don't have to have a blanket rule uh, and they're going to look at it in that scenario. That's an interesting, but I didn't think about the seller being delinquent or not that, as attractive. That could as, be benefit yeah. to them mm-hmm. versus, okay. versus refinancing at a higher interest rate that could get more benefit by making that loan be a concurrent, right? Because then the coupon's worth more. Interesting. Okay. Um, what advice do you give to realtors right now to help? guide their buyers um right now like i said just like we talked about in the beginning it is a good time to buy 
It's right. always a good time. So it's a good time to buy, especially in Dallas. Things are going to keep appreciating this, you know, I think I think it was still going to be from the beginning of the fiscal year to the end. They're still projecting a 6 to 8% increase in okay. values. So that's still a good investment. It's not as sexy as two years ago. No, but, uh, but we'll 8%, take 8% in yeah. increase is still a better investment than your investments in bonds. Your, yes. Things, right? So there's still benefit there. Uh, what I tell them is like, hey, I was like, I have some great programs that we can use to, we use the buy down programs because of what it is, is it's like front loaded discount points. Instead of buying discount points for 30 years on a loan, it's front loaded into the first couple of years of the house. So then you get all that benefit from the interest rate drop and payment perspective while we're waiting to refinance. So you buy the home at a great price, we give you a good rate with a buy down. Okay. You, can, you can just negotiate the seller credit to pay that. Um, and we have other options around that. It has to be just third party. It could be from realtor or lender. We can bake in some offset some cost to pay some of those points too, but mainly it's paid by a seller. So say example, $350,000 house, they're giving you a 5,000 seller concession. I can do like a, maybe a two, one buy down, which drops your interest rate 2% the first year. So while 7.25, you're going to pay 5.25 the mm -hmm. first year, then 1% the second year, then goes back to the par rate they were approved at. But during that time period, we hope to refinance it. Yeah. So then it, then it's like, okay, I'll keep my rate the same the whole time. When we refinance, right? That's the plan. That is the plan. <laughs> right. But either way, it helps them have a lot of saving relief from that high payment those first couple of years. So do you guys have some sort of trigger that reminds buyers to do when the rates drop, you're like, okay, the rates have dropped. Let's not forget that your payment's gonna your interest rate's gonna go up. Yeah, they get alerted through the servicers on those type of loans when you have the buy down. They get alerted that oh, they within, do. Yeah, they're mandated servicers are mandated to any change like an arms or anything like that, or like in these buy downs. I think it's within 60 days prior, they have to send out notification, hey, your payment will be adjusting to X because of the the next year buy down. Okay. That's cool. I didn't know if anybody, I mean, why would they do that? It doesn't benefit. They're regulated. Them. Oh, they're told to now. <laughs> they're told yeah. to. Well, we learned a lot from yes. the last recession yes. to the great recession, didn't we? And speaking from the servicer side, I've managed servicing for a long time. So I know all the ins and outs of what they have to do with that. Got it. Any problems with the for forbearance stuff we need to talk about? Uh, a little. So mainly pertaining to refinancing that property, right? So if, if a lot of, and a lot of, there's a huge, amount of people that did forbearances because mm -hmm. their services were incented by the government to do forbearances. I know, but it sounded like, like a terrible service, idea to me at they the basically time. Say, okay, <laughs> and I, I know some servicers were doing, you know, standard three months forbearance. And a yeah. lot of them were doing six. Now, okay, they took those payments when you didn't make those payments for however right. many months. They tacked them on the back end of the loan. No? Potentially. So the way the process works when you do a forbearance, let's just use a, a three-month I forgot. We talked about Not this. Not a problem. It's been uh, a minute. <laughs> when you do a three-month forbearance, so you forbear your payment for three months means you don't have to make that payment. Right. What happens is it still hits your credit in late payments for three months. Yeah. Right? Uh, but then at the end of those three months, you just don't have to make a payment because you're forbearing, meaning I have a hardship. Right? Yeah. At the end of those three months, they come to you and say, okay, you owe us X amount of dollars for missing three payments. Can you pay that? If you can, that brings you current and you continue on with your payments, right? It's because it's considered short-term forbearance. If you cannot make that payment, then they say a lot of them do an automated uh, mod where they will just take that amount of money you owe, put it on the back of your mortgage and payments, and it starts you current with that month and start your payments all over again. Okay. And so then you get to just start over. That money goes on the back. Right. Is that stuff still on your credit? Uh, once you do the mod, 
And when you do the modification, say you agree to do that modification, whether it be a formal modification or informal, they put it on the back end. You have to make three on-time payments of your payment plan. Then they will update your credit that you were on time and reported the whole time because they actually process the modification and defer it. Okay. But you have that time period where it's not. You're going to get hit. Your credit's going to get hit with that. Yeah. Uh, do their payments what, change? Not unless you do a formal modification and they can extend – with modification, I have what's called a waterfall. So they'll look at it and be like, okay, well, first thing we'll do, if you can't afford this, that's if you can't afford it and they'll just put it on the back. Yeah. If you can't afford that payment still, then they go through the waterfall for that investor and they'll say, okay, what if we extend it out to a 30, you're here on 15, we'll extend it back out to a 30 year, 40 year. Can you afford that payment? Got it. Or do we need to drop your interest rate? They'll drop your interest rate and modify the terms to get you within a threshold of debt to income that their servicer or their investor for that loan requires okay so they go through that whole list got it right but that's the process yeah right but again then when you're current you cannot refinance a house till you've been current for three months on those payments okay because they want to make sure that you've handled the forbearance issue and you brought yourself current and then you can look to refinance after that got it okay i just didn't know if it was i was wondering if it had an impact now on homeowners and I know we've got sellers that are selling their houses with right. forbearance. So I just didn't know what the impact of yeah, that was. Yeah, for a buyer buying a home that's on forbearance is no issue because that's the seller's issue. Right, right. Uh, you just, if you sell the home before you go through that modification process, your credit won't be fixed. Got it. Right, as far as them reporting it current now. Okay. So if you did a forbearance, get it current. Otherwise, it's going to be stuck in your credit. Okay. Process forbearance, stick to the three-month payment plan. And then they, after that, then they figure you're good. Okay. It's like you're, uh, it's kind of like your probationary period. Okay. Right? Uh, and then after that, then you would be, credit be updated as current. Okay. Any last minute advice for buyers or realtors right now? Um, like I said, it's just, you know, rates in the market are, you know, Don't high. get stuck on the rate. Don't get stuck on the rate. You know, sell the home, sell, you know, what plan on refinance and get paired with a lender, you know, where they can offer them the buy downs because then it's going to give them that relief from that. Uh, and I work with a lot of the sellers that will offer it because it gives more incentives and more buyer shopping for those homes. Okay. Uh, so get with a lender that does offer the buy downs and something like that. Uh, but like I said, focus on selling the house, not the rate because that's going to be a short term situation. Um, you know, for a year or two, you know, and a lot of things with the, they expect them to drop a lot of reasons for next year, but also pre-elections always yeah, shake things up. So. It sure does. <laughs> but again, it's, it's a good time to buy. Just it know, is just know all okay. the tools to do it. It's a good time to buy and make sure that you reach out to Sean to help you with all of your financing needs. So thank you for joining me, Sean. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being a valued partner of mine. And so that's a wrap. It's another episode. Again, I'm your host, Tamara Gady. If you like my content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs and you guys make it a great day. Mm -hmm.